0: You are listening to episode 198 of Game Deflators Podcast. My name is John and I'm joined by Ryan.
1: Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators Podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing and you're already dead and you never saw us coming in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge.
0: So I definitely preferred the Tenchu Tuesday that you came up with the other day. I think that would have Tenchu Tuesday. Tenchu Tuesday or Tenchu Tuesday. Tuesday. Tacos, Tenchu. tenchu, It all worked out today for me. I got all of that. (laughs) Uh, So we talked about Tenchu 2 on the PS1 today. Or we played it and we're going to talk about it, right? Um, So that's our inflation deflation for this week. But let's go ahead and tell the people where they can find us, Ryan. You can go on. You're about to say it.
1: You can can find us online at your favorite podcast app, maybe the one you're listening to us on right now. And you know what? If you're already looking down at that app, why don't you go ahead and leave us a review? Five stars would be nice. And if you want to tell us how good we're doing, you can find us at The Game Deflators on Facebook
0: and Instagram and at Game Deflators at Twitter because they don't like the. And, of course, our out-of-date website, TheGameDeflators.com. Uh, You know, what's interesting is whenever I said, I I think I say you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, and then you say Facebook and Instagram. So it's like we reverse it. I'm surprised I don't say the Facebook. That's what (laughs) I usually say. The Facebook. All right. Well, this week we're going to talk about Sony being sued for five billion pounds over their PlayStation store prices. Uh, That'll be from Ryan Dinsdale at IGN. Uh, We've got a new free PS2 emulator that's snuck onto the Xbox store. Uh, That's by Jose Angel at uh, Generacion Xbox. So it's actually a a Spanish website that Google translated for us. And uh, the next piece is a next big D&D experience. And then it looks like a video game. And that is a problem, as far as Claire Jackson says from Kotaku. So we'll talk about that in a moment. uh, But... First things first, our recent pickups. Now, I know we're on a shortened week this week. Uh, so I looked at your list and I'm like, holy crap, how did you pick up all of these things? But I'm guessing <laughs> well,
1: I, Game Pass. Well, I fit what I watched in this week because I watched Gamescom today. We are recording this, uh, yeah, like John said early. So it was Gamescom opening night live and I watched that today.
0: Nice. So for me to kick it off, I had, luckily I had some pickups this week, right? before Since our episode that we recorded on Saturday. Uh, mm-hmm. I got the Radiant Citadel D&D um, campaign setting. So pretty cool, cool there. And then I also got the Spelljammer book set. What What is Radiant Citadel? I haven't even heard of that. Uh, Radiant Citadel is an older campaign from years ago, but has been brought back into a refresh look for 5e. Um, so you have Spelljammers that are tied in there. It's supposed to have ships and be like just space vibes, apparently.
1: Yeah, Spelljammers wacky
0: yeah so it's uh, a whole bunch of crazy that's stuff the one on with it. the hippo people and they've got space hippos and space hamsters and stuff like that yeah uh so there is a lot of content in there i'm not gonna play it right away obviously um because i've been doing other D stuff and i'm planning on the next campaign i do be in strict uh but yeah. as far as currently playing is concerned i finally completed my avernus campaign congratulations sir congratulations how's it feel uh pretty good man because you know when we thought about it this was a first campaign our group finished since you did the one through five like fandelver thing with us like that opening campaign years ago
1: finishing D is the hardest part of D,
0: dude when we were done like i looked at my wife i'm like you do realize it's a first campaign that our group is like finished in years right she's like no it isn't and as she started going back through the list of campaigns we've done she's like oh shit, you're right. Like, this is a first. So, you know, I didn't give a whole ton of weekly updates on here like I would have liked to. Just things have been crazy. We went from like a weekly setup to a bi-weekly setup to several months off and it just kind of all spanned all over the place, right? But I tried to give updates where I could. Um, The big thing and how I closed this out, uh, so if you're playing Avernus, I guess, and you got a DM, don't listen to this because it's spoilers somewhat. But... What I ended up doing is I had them enter the Bleeding Citadel, which is where they were supposed to go for Zariel's sword. And the whole concept is the group is looking for Zariel's sword in Avernus. They're going through all these fetch quests in a sense, which I had to homebrew a lot of things. There's so much fetch quest, like over and over and over again. Fetch quest, fetch quest, fetch quest. Try saying that fast. And <laughs> uh, so the whole concept is that, but like they're going for the sword of Zariel. So I got them into the Bleeding Citadel finally. Uh, they get in there and there's like this dreamscape uh, piece that they have to jump into. And that dreamscape is essentially kind of closing the gaps that they have in understanding who Zariel is, why she had her fall, why she like went to Phasmodius and all this other good stuff. It talks about the Hell Riders, and provides a little more context uh, in that part of the story. And so they end up in this and like, this has been over a two week period that I did this. Um, They had to do a big fight with a bunch of gnolls and dretches and a whole bunch of their big baddies like demon creatures. Killed all of them. Then I opened them up into another battle in which they had more gnolls, dretches, uh, of rock, And then after they handled a lot of that, Yanagu came out and they had to battle him for a period of time. And so that whole piece like with all, I mean, all of these battles took like seven hours basically to three or four battles. I did. And so I had them in this dreamscape space and they completed that component. And when it was all said, done, Zariel was like, you know, Hey, if you know, here's what I'm doing, I'm going to be laying it all on the line and, you know, going against what I stand for to save everybody on favor or everybody in favoring basically. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, they all have that experience with her, and then they exit the bleeding citadel. Uh, which looking in front of them, they see the blood war and they see El Terrell, the city they are trying to save, has like pretty much gone to where it's in the river of sticks at this point. And face to face with them, when they get out of there and they're having this discussion on what they need to do, I led them in the path of redeeming Zariel. And the main reason I did this, uh, if somebody's looking to DM this, is the the issue I saw was if you don't redeem zariel the other options are like fight zariel directly which zariel is fucking strong i probably would have tpk'd him with zariel um because she can deal like 200 something damage on one hit like yeah and that's like potentially hitting all your rolls like you know so there was that piece uh there is destroying the sword of zariel which could free a couple things there was having the demon lords come in and then like you know Having them fight you and then Zariel sees then you fight Zariel. Like, there's a whole bunch of different you can even rule Avernus with Zariel. Uh, mm-hmm. what I opted to do is I led them down a path of redeeming Zariel, and they ended up killing, uh, I think he's an Amanizu, I think is the correct term. It's like the little green goblin looking guy, or actually tall goblin guy, and uh, He was uh, Thaddeus Krieg, who initially at the start of a campaign, if you've heard that far back in our discussions on this, uh, was the one that wanted to drag Baldur's Gate into Avernus, but he was the one that was at fault for El -El falling. So I see him. I had some other characters from early on in the campaign, like Chapter 1 resurfaced and killed this guy, had discussions with the characters. At this point, Zariel comes back and has a whole discussion with them on... You know, why she did what she did, and that she could kill them right on the spot. And their whole job at that point is to try and convince Zariel to take back her sword. And when she does that, she sees everything she's done wrong. I have her slash the chains that are dragging in El And then at that moment, when she comes back, both Baphomet and Yanagu come out of the Blood War and begin to battle the characters. And then I allow Joel to control Zariel. So he was using her as a playable character. And then I had both of those demon lords along with uh, my wife's parents in the campaign that were evil um, fight with him, with Yanagu specifically. And then what I did with all of that is I closed up a whole bunch of loose ends for the character. So like my wife's character, she wanted to kill her parental figures, right? Uh, or her parents throughout the campaign because of all the suffering and everything they caused. turns out, uh, she sees a flash and a memory that goes through her head that shows her parents bowing down to Yanagu to protect her from death and that they had to sacrifice themselves to Yanagu and become one with him and support him. Otherwise she would die. And so they put her aside and uh, saved her. So like, that was a whole like, Oh my God, I just killed my parents who actually tried to sa- you know, save me. Um, mm-hmm. I had Justin. Uh, he ended up, uh, having a situation when all the battle was said and done, which by the way, as a paladin dude at level 13, he straight up dealt like 146 damage to Baphomet in one hit. Holy cow. So he hit him with all of his strikes um, and he rolled, it was 26d8 plus 20 with his divine smites that he laid on. Because of it being a, a demon or a fiend, he got the extra you know bonus from his divine smites and he just blew them
1: all in one hit. dude
0: 146 damage i was like everyone was laughing dude
1: did you imagine if he crit
0: i know if he would have crit that would have been ridiculous he didn't crit on any of those man it was wow. ridiculous He I'd, rolled 26 with no crits well no no he rolled f- he, so this is where it was hilarious he only had uh he had haste and then he had four attacks and then he hit with those four attacks and then he did like divine smites to like level three or four or something like that. And then all of that amounted to like 26 D8s plus 20. Now, oh, I
1: guess so. 26 times eight, that would max out at 208. So 146, he did pretty good.
0: Yeah, plus a 20. So 228 total and he, he didn't get that low, you know, in general. But what's interesting is if he would have saved his second wind instead of using it because he actually multiclassed in the fighter. He could have potentially had eight attacks and just one shot a boss.
1: Wow. That he, would have been nuts. Dude. That would have been a story.
0: I know. It would have been so good to see that happen. But so so Justin's character, I had him actually take the sword of Zariel when it was in uh, the, the Bleeding Citadel. And when he did that, it actually wiped him clean of any sort of like control Baphomet had over him. So I had like this whole, you know, angelic wings come out because he became a fallen Osimir. Awesome And so I had him like kind of redeem himself in a sense, in that, in that sense, Um, Joel's character, uh, he was already kind of cleared up with his whole situation. Uh, Ginny's character was so new that I ended up tying up a loose end for her dead character. And then Tara, who's in the group, uh, her character was so kind of new as well that when it all came down, like when it all ended and they were sitting there, it was like, Alder Ravenguard comes up and he offers uh my wife's character, uh Joel's character and Justin's character, a place in El Terrell in a new union of the two cities to become hellriders for the city. And all of them turned it down, except Justin, who now redeemed as a of course, as an Asimir, awesome actually asks Zariel what she wished he would do. And he actually rode off of her to the uh to her plane, the astral plane. And so they went off together. Um, and then I had uh, Joel's character was like, no, nope, I'm good. I don't want to do this. Like he looks at Tara's character. And he's like, how about you just plane shift us out of here? And uh, she was like, yeah, I could do that. But then Ginny was like, well, what happens to uh, to my dead character? I'm like, she's still in the ring, right? I'm like, you know what? Uh, Joel's like hands Zariel the ring. And he's like, is there anything you can do with this? And she's like potentially and she you know i homebrewed all this isn't like a legit thing you can do but she took this ring that had Ginny's soul in it you could do anything with magic john you can't technically so zariel takes the ring puts it on and says what do you wish to do and she says i wish to become a hell rider and i wish to save elterrell and everything like because she's able to hear with joel having her on the finger and whatnot so zariel takes the ring and presses it into a body that had not been revived in the uh destruction of like the companion light and elterrell to bring else all back to the surface and mm-hmm. she actually comes back in a new body and um she becomes the hell rider of uh, older raven Guard. so it was mm-hmm. pretty cool one thing i did, the way i closed this out was hilarious as well so i had i think I, I brought him up but i had Troxidor the the otter which is like a wizard who is transformed into an otter and he's all powerful and he can turn back into a human if he wants to or, or whatever but race he is.
1: chooses to remain an otter because who wouldn't like once becoming an otter exactly. why
0: go? exactly like that's seriously the mindset that they write like he can be you know an actual like humanoid but he chooses to be an otter because he likes the form and that's what he does so i had him like when they defeated everything and they had like eltorell sitting there and they're like we need to like bring eltorell back to the surface quickly we need to sort of zariel i have this and tara wasn't aware of this character so this otter pops up on her shoulder just plane shifts out of nowhere and he's like Quick, we have to save El Grab the sword of Zariel. I'll plane shift this all over there and he plane shifts there. But the funny thing was like earlier in the campaign, Justin stole his goblin hand that had the three wishes on it. And uh as Justin's riding off into the astral plane in this portal with Zariel, you just hear the otter go, Wait, what about my goblin hand? And he's reaching out and like Justin disappears uh, with Zariel. And uh Joel's character was the one actually using it. He's like, Oh, that shit. Oh yeah, I use that. And he's like, no. And then we just closed <laughs> it. <laughs> so nice. it was, it was good. Like to finally finish the campaign and, and just get that done. So I played that obviously planning for strict saving after the baby's here. And I'm all settled with that. And then, uh, still playing Terra enigma. So I am, where did I get to? I got to, I think it's like Safari or something or zoo. I got to zoo. It's like Z U E. Uh, I got to that level and, um, I had a bird actually transported me there. So like the level I was just in was Gray Hill or something. I forget the name, but a gray cliff. And by completing that area, I actually revive all birds on the, in the world. And so now there's birds and all the birds can talk to my character. So birds are Oops. now able to fly me to various levels, which is kind of cool. Um, so I finished that piece and Yoshi's crafted world. We are on the fourth world. The one downside I'm finding with this game is like the worlds are super short. There's like two or three like levels within each world is what I'm finding. And that's kind of frustrating. Like I wish there was a little bit more expansion into those different, you know, worlds that you go to or those, you know, sections where it's like typically if you had a snow level, it's a bunch of snow. So like in our case, you and I played like that water type level and there's like two levels, I think one of them being a boss. Like that's Mm. to me, that's not the best representation of what I would like to see if a Mario game or Mario based game. Um, But it is what it is. We're having fun with it and it's enjoyable. So what did you do this week in the last three days? Yeah,
1: uh, this week played a week number five. Uh, We've got two pretty decent looking games. Uh, The first one is one that I'm actually really excited about. Demon Quest 85. It's like a dungeon crawling RPG with uh, also some like. I I think like D&D character elements outside of like the in-game game. game. So you're kind of have like two levels of game. Uh, There's a really good phone game that's like that like a DD inception um gosh i can't remember the name of it if i if i remember it i'll let you know um and then the other one is omaze omaze is a game you use with the crank you've got uh like a circle and you go around the edge of the circle by cranking the crank and uh, you'll have like a series of circles in a row connected together because they're next to each other and they've got like a little pipe or something going between them mm-hmm. so you spin around the circles so that you can transfer from one circle to the next circle and get to the exit and then it starts throwing death walls and things that make it so that once you go in you start rotating one direction you can hit a button to reverse the rotation of all rotation on the board at once and so you just kind of crank and reverse and crank and weave your way through this maze so um that one's you know that's what the playdate is mostly for like i've had more of a time with those shorter little bursty games um than some of the longer ones and definitely than some of the sound ones i feel like what i need to do is get um, like, I don't know, a headset for work or something that plugs into my headphone jack so that I can play my play date and do the sound games at work as well, because my headphones at work have a USB. So, you know, who has corded headphones anymore?
0: Well, in your work, you kind of wait for phone calls, right? For the most part. So,
1: yeah, but yeah, I mean, I like can move some headphones over in a second. No, no, no I, I know. That.
0: No, I know. I'm just saying, like, you you have that ability sometimes to just kind of quickly test and everything, and you know, yeah, it's available yeah. to you, which is nice. So. Yeah. Uh,
1: so did that. Um, got that stuff. I haven't really played any games in the last couple of days, except for I beat the secret game. Like I said, I would, and we'll address that. Uh, you want to just get to that now? Oh, wait, no, I actually, you know, what? I did play a little bit of Curse to Golf. I uh, it opened up. It was great. It was fun. Um, I realized during the opening that that is High Labs, the same game company that did Whitewater Wipeout, which was on the first game release week for Playdate. Yeah. So go with them. Um, but that game's been uh, cute and fun. I did lose the tutorial. <laughs> so no, not that the only, speaks highly of me.
0: Not the only tutorial you lost today.
1: <laughs> yeah, yep. Not the only one. Uh so let's get to it, John. Let's let's reveal so, to the people and to
0: you. So the what, secret what game? One thing I noticed here in looking at our outlines, you'll notice on episode 196, I have a guess. Then we have the Strange Aeons game interview, which technically was an episode, Ryan. It was a full episode, and I didn't get a guess on that episode. I think I deserve two guesses tonight.
1: You know what? Okay, John. I'm feeling in a giving mood. Let's give you all the opportunity we can. Okay. So I'll give you two questions and two guesses.
0: All right. So I have already asked for the people that have kept up with the secret game. Now, let me go back. You mean for the people who haven't? What do you mean? No, people well, the people who have kept up, they already know the questions. Well they do, but well yeah, good point, good point. So the people that haven't, and a reminder to those that have heard the questions. The first question I asked was, is it on PS2? I was told no. I then asked, Is it on a Nintendo console or handheld? I was told yes. The next one was, is it on Nintendo Switch? I was also told yes. So, I mean, in these questions, I'm actually doing pretty well. Uh, I said, has the game, was the game released in 2022? I was told no. I've been asked if it was Metroidvania. I was told no. I uh, was not allowed to ask a question on Strange Aeon Games, which I am asking now. Uh, and then I asked in the last episode before this one, um, is it a Mario-based game? And I was told no. Correct, Ryan? Correct. All right. Is it mech type like a mech type of game? No, I cannot believe you just pulled out a Gundam figure to tell me no. <laughs> I, I held up a Gundam and made it nod. No. All right. So it's not mech. Um, now make your guess. Well, that takes this out, is for the strange Aeon one. It takes out Demon X Machina. So I'm not doing that one. Uh, is it Xenoblade Chronicles?
1: No. No,
0: oh, no you would have never beat that. That's a bad guess. You would have never beat it that quickly. Um, let's see. You already beat Metroid Prime. All uh, right. Next question. Oh, shit. Okay. Or do
1: you want to guess before your question again? You've done that before, but this is your last question and guess.
0: Oh, man. This is tough, dude. Um. Damn. What would you have purchased? Uh, is it a platformer? No, well oh, shit, that's gonna screw me over <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Is it a Resident Evil game? That's two questions. No, I mean as an okay, is it Resident Evil I don't know, whatever Resident Evil's on the switch? No. All right, fine. what the hell's the damn game? Hey John, I have a question for you. What's
1: uh? What's the last gym that you left off in? Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu. Oh, did you actually beat that game? Was it Blaine? I think it was actually. Yeah. Guess what, John? I beat you. I beat you in the
0: race to beat Pokemon Let's Go. <laughs> that is so... What's up? <laughs> <laughs> That's actually pretty hilarious. <laughs> yes. So
1: for everybody. It didn't oh think that I could ever beat John in a Pokemon race because I gave up at <laughs> Count Moon and he made it all the way to Blaine. I am
0: triumphant. Holy shit. That is hilarious, dude. That's like That's like two years. <laughs> that's like, dude, like you held on to that for two years. That is hilarious. Yes, yes I did. Oh my God. That is great. I love that, dude. That's hilarious. <laughs> I knew I knew everybody would get a
1: kick out of that. So. Oh,
0: man. That's there awesome you stuff. Yeah, you need, to, you need to tweet about that one. Finally beat me. That's funny. All right. We need more secret game challenges. I like that. That was good. Uh, <laughs> Brian's quest to complete games that he didn't finish. I actually need to beat that game now. You know,
1: I've been excited for... Scarlet and Violet which is what kind of pushed me to do it because I was like I don't know it looks kind of interesting and I I really wanted to just kind of go back and I was like I had this great idea to beat you and I was like okay cool I'll do that and the more I played it the more I really liked it like at first I was not super into it but honestly not having to fight a million freaking wild pokemon is great and the ability to just get like special candies so that i can like my favorite pokemon is Cubo. so i mean i don't usually find marowak to be like the best pokemon in a lot of situations from my experience and that's not a lot of experience uh but the ability to just like dump stats into him and just make him super tough and use whatever pokemon i want like, that's pretty cool. Uh, also, grinding is much easier because you just catch Pokemon.
0: Yeah, I think my I issue. I got my
1: first shiny ever. That's I cool. got a shiny Ghastly.
0: That's pretty badass. Yeah. Uh, I think my issue with that game wasn't so much that it wasn't a good game because I did like it. My issue was that I already beat Pokemon Red, I already beat Pokemon Yellow. Did I really need to beat this Pokemon? With it, being- oh, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, there's so many games people have out there that it's like, oh, yeah, man, I play that game like once a year. And it's like, I mean, I used to be that way with RE4, but I mean, like, I still haven't bought the RE4 um for the Quest 2 yet. And I thought that was going to be something I was going to buy the first week, but I honestly haven't had a whole lot of Quest time lately.
0: Yeah, and that's just really kind of my and that's been my thing with Pokemon over the years anyways, which is why I was so excited about Arceus when it came out, because it for me, it was truly something that was different with Pokemon. And I enjoyed playing it because of that. Um, Am I going to be excited about Scarlet and the next one? Not necessarily, but, you know, I'll see what you have to say about it and go from there. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's dive into our discussion this week. The first one being uh, Sony being sued for $5 billion over PlayStation store uh, prices. Pounds. Pounds. Sorry. Not pound, not dollars. I mean, technically, uh, 5 billion pounds, I think, is less now than the dollar, if I'm correct. I want to oh, wow. say. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd have to look it up. Don't quote me on the finances here, but I'm pretty sure the pound is actually less than this a dollar. This is now. not financial advice. Yeah. It is not. Or maybe it's a euro. One of the two. I don't remember. Either way, it's five billion pounds. It's a lot of money. Um, Do you want to kick this one off?
1: Yeah. So Sony is being sued in the UK because they are essentially screwing over their customers. Sony has an only Sony digital platform for releasing digital games and Charging whatever they want with no competition, and it seems like, well, wait, wait, doesn't everybody do that? But no, they don't. You can buy Nintendo and Microsoft game codes at GameStop on Amazon, like they go on sale on occasion. But Sony gets you know full only them as a digital platform for buying their products and then taking a 30 per sent cut of anything going through them and their platform. So they're doing stuff in a way that people are saying you can't do that. And now they are suing the bejesus
0: out of them. So here's a reason I don't think something like this is going to go through. And that's because consumer and we talked about this, I think like a year ago, consumers still have the option to purchase games on the secondary market now digital i agree not if you have an all digital ps5 but you had the option to buy a disc based so yeah but if you buy that's the issue is
1: that if you buy the all digital ps5
0: you can only buy through sony there's zero other options yeah and i get that so i see i see that part right I I can only buy you know through Sony I can't exactly go via third party there's no good deals for that I get that component Sony does have enough summer sales and other things that occur to help lower that price point for consumers so you can't say that they jack up the price 50 bucks and it stays at 50 bucks and it never goes down that's not true because they frequently have sales all the time on honestly like honestly like a weekly basis I feel they have sales um you have the option, if you bought a disc-based PS5, you had the option to buy it. if you didn't, but you have the option to buy physical games if you have the disc-based PS5. Now, yes, there are some games that you can't necessarily buy physical, but there are third-party publishers out there that do publish some of those games and on the PS5. So, Okay, I, well, what about, what about DLC? DLC is a different situation, but again, DLC is based on the person, the company that made those games. Now, if it's a Sony exclusive game and that DLC is going exclusively. No, no. Sony, if you
1: have, if you have a, like a digital PS five, mm-hmm. you can't go out and buy the game of the year edition that has all the DLC included on the disc. You, you can't do that. Well,
0: you can, when they release it digitally.
1: <laughs> well, okay. So you can only buy it through Sony. Yeah. So that's the only way you can get the DLC yeah and so if microsoft sells a code that you can go buy the dlc at gamestop and you can go use your gamestop points to get a discount but uh, if you're sony and you have a digital you can only go through them you can only pay the prices they say you can pay
0: yeah i mean i get it but like This for one thing, this isn't like uh, an issue that is just coming up now. This has been an issue. It's been around for quite some time, according to some people. And they are
1: leading the way for like $70 games. And they're charging that for the digital version as well. And I mean, we live in an age where people just accept that it's the same. But there should be a difference between digital and physical prices.
0: Well, yes.
1: And there should be an account for that. Like, they should have made the price for new games seventy dollars if it's physical, and sixty dollars still if it's digital.
0: Yeah, I mean, I and have then an they option. wouldn't be getting sued. Maybe, but I don't think they're going to have an issue, anyways. I think that there are enough options out there in the market. Sony could probably show thousands of games that they have put on sale over the last you know decade, and show that they are consumer friendly in many respects. So it's the one thing. Oh, go yeah. On.
1: Oh, sorry. The other thing that I don't see in here, though, is that Sony is now selling stuff on Steam for now. Yeah. Like, there's all these rumors about them making their own launcher, potentially. But, you know, I mean, if they're selling on Steam, then they're not only selling on PlayStation.
0: Yeah. And so that's a whole situation there you got to take into consideration. The one other thing, though, that I didn't like about this particular writing is it calls out that like this or no, it was actually a lawsuit specifically. And they called out one of the reasons that they're suing is because we're in a hyperinflation period right now and consumers are squeezed and they can't necessarily afford these games at the end of the day. That's not an argument because you know, a video game console and games are not a necessity. So if you're using that argument, I
1: don't think, I don't think it's about that. I, know. I, think it's, I think it's about that like it's not saying oh people can't afford games now because everything else is so expensive well, no, it's, games a... it's saying that everybody else is squeezing the hell out of us we can all agree that like games are fun but like could you stop trying to charge for literally everything all
0: the time
1: I'm like that's what that they're quote. doing
0: let me try and find that quote for you really quick um Okay, where is it, where is it, where is it? Uh, okay, so overcharge, really Sony abused this position and ripped off customers. Oh man, dude, it's not even that big of an article yet. I'm, oh, okay, the actions of Sony is costing millions of people who can't afford it, particularly when we're in the midst of a cost of living crisis and the consumer purse is being squeezed like never before. I, I don't think it really matters, you know, that, that component, right? Like, yes, I understand that the cost of living has increased, but that being one of the reasons as to why you're pursuing this lawsuit is BS. Like, well, okay. So, so how about this? It's not that Sony's doing
1: something in that sense. It's that they're not allowing people to compete. So when times are already tough, what consumers need is options to free up the competitive market. So Sony needs to stop calling all of the shots and open it up so that there's more of a market so that we
0: are treated better. Yeah, but that's not, I mean, just play devil's advocate. That's not Sony's job, you know? Well, I mean, it—it
1: it is by laws that say that you have to allow for competition.
0: I know you're gonna have to cite those laws to me, Ryan. I don't know those laws. Do I look like a lawyer? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. You got glasses on. They're for
1: fashion, almost, almost (laughs) for fashion.
0: They barely do anything. Well, let us know what you all think about this. Um, Ryan's obviously on the on the pro lawsuit side. I am on the, uh, you know, I don't think they have a leg to stand on side for a lawsuit. I mean, dude, class action lawsuits happen all the time. Are they ever settled? Sometimes. Other times they just fizzle out into nothing. So. Well, we don't live in the UK. It's not going to pay us. No, it really isn't. I don't Who know. Who knows?
1: Maybe things are worse in the UK.
0: I don't know. You know, we should contact Grief Burrito. Maybe they can get us some of that Sony money when the lawsuit goes through. Right? Um. Well, speaking of potential lawsuits, a new free PS2 yeah. emulator sneaks into the Xbox store. Yeah, you want a deal for uh PlayStation games. Here you go. Yeah. So pretty much like we're not advocating for this at all. Just FYI. But apparently there is a process that we will link uh, at some point where you can go through and it might not even be live anymore after this article is read. But. Uh, you can actually go into your Xbox, go to the browser, access this specific emulator, download a BIOS package, put that BIOS package into your Xbox, and then voila, you have a PS2 emulator. Totally not legal, um, so definitely not something to, um, to pursue, necessarily. Um, but it's still interesting to see how like something like this is sneaking by. Like the ability to do something like that, I would think would be fully blocked by this uh, point. I mean, I feel like we just talked about this a couple weeks ago in another article.
1: This? No, we, we didn't talk about this would, dude. No, not this, but just saying in general that, like, oh yeah, I God of War, that there would be somebody sitting there at the switch to be like, yeah, that's a game.
0: Yeah, God of War specifically on Xbox. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I mean, if you're being sneaky you're being sneaky so you might just get it through and this is just another example of that but interesting yeah i guess i never would have thought that this would be something somebody would try to do but i guess it makes sense i mean apple stamps this kind of stuff off all the time like i don't i think i talked about on the podcast like an ipad would be like the perfect emulator thing to just carry with you and have a controller and prop it up and play games it's got a beautiful screen it puts out decent sound connects to headphones like it would be perfect but they are like so fervent on squashing out like any of that kind of stuff like it may have been a little while since i looked into it so you know things could always get better but from the last time i looked at it it was like not worth the effort. And even on like some of these like paid ones, they get stamped out and there's just nothing you could do about it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Apple in general is pretty strict on, you know, their hardware and what gets put on there in general. But, uh, you know, Microsoft's a little different. Microsoft's kind of paved that way for, you know, PC and customization and such. And, you know, is this something that Microsoft would have planned to, you know, block maybe, but at the same time, maybe they just don't give a shit so you know i mean um, they let god of war on there now if, this what's if you, next if you think about it like why is microsoft going to be like oh no somebody used our software to put a ps2 emulator which means that people can play ps2 on the xbox like i i just can't see so many microsoft like unless this was brought to their attention would they really go out of their way to stop this probably not. oh here's here's a new strategy
1: bump up game pass by like $5 a month and include a PlayStation plus subscription with each membership to
0: game pass. Dude, that'd be hilarious. And then access your game. Not enough Xbox. people would sign up that you would lose money. That's true. All right. The next big thing we have here is the next big D and D experience. And uh, it does look like a video game with, I think it's the unreal engine is what they're using. And according to Claire Jackson here, that's a problem. So, Being in the thick of D&D stuff right now, having just finished a campaign, being part of a campaign, uh, planning my next campaign, buying minis. uh, As I think I said on the podcast, I went ahead and got a TV and I built around it so that way I could use it as a digital map for future campaign stuff. Um, Turns out that Wizards is really just doing a whole bunch of crazy stuff right now at D&D. Uh, if you watch the Wizards Presents, the 2022 Wizards Presents, it gives an in-depth analysis on D&D and Magic the Gathering specifically, as well as some of the D&D lore-type books. They actually give a sneak preview into the Lord of set for Magic the Gathering, which is pretty badass, by the way. Uh, Frodo's imagery is like on point. It's great. Um, but they, they dive into D&D specifically on the digital side of this. And they are looking to have an all-inclusive digital experience where you can actually control virtual minis, control virtual maps. And some of these can be like full-blown campaigns that are already pre-developed with maps, but then the ability to customize those as you see fit for your gaming experience. Not sure how I really feel about the the digital component because they're saying, oh, well, you can kind of customize rules, you can have roles on there, everything else. I actually really like the feels like pen to paper or pencil to paper dice rolls on the table. Like I enjoy that component of it and the theater of mind that comes with it. And you kind of lose a little bit of that when you start incorporating more and more digital components. Now there's a level of tech that you need to
1: have. I found from my experience with D and D where it's like, if there's too much tech and it doesn't all work together, it becomes more of a hassle than it's worth using. But like, Having some different mix of media, I enjoy like I like digital sounds. I like digital pictures. I like paper maps and I like whiteboards and magnets like like that's all stuff that I like to use in more my portfolio. But at the end of the day, I mean, that video that they have running at the top of this article looks
0: pretty freaking cool, man. It does. And I, I really did like that. But for me, you know, you kind of brought up uh, just now your reasons and, and like what you like with D and D and that mixture of tech and originality. And I'm kind of along the lines of, you know, I, I really want to go to digital maps and having the digital sounds associated to it, but I want to stick with 3d miniatures that are yeah. printed out and put on the monitor. And that's what my people use. I want to have normal dice rolls, but I may want to transition things to where maybe there's more tech around the table for things like, you know, character sheets. Instead of having you know a paper character sheet, potentially losing it, marking it all up, tears, all that stuff, having a digital character sheet would be nice. But right now, the way I incorporate it um, is I have music that I control on my phone. I have um, enemy stat blocks on my phone that I flip in and out of, and then I've got you know, drawn maps along with 3D minis. That's my current method. I would much rather prefer to have a digital map, but, um, you know, just a 2D digital map. Uh, But that's kind of where things stand for me right now. The other piece that they kind of talked about here was uh, the new core rulebooks. And the core rulebooks that are coming out are actually pretty cool. They're saying that the last 10 years of campaigns that have been released, uh, they will be compatible with these new core rulebooks, which is pretty nice. They're not like you know, they're taking away just editions and it's more of this like D and D like that's all it is. It's just D and D and they expand upon it from there. So a lot of cool stuff coming in, um, in the next year, uh, rule books are coming in, in I think 2024 and a whole bunch of different campaign settings and other stuff will be coming out in 2023. So exciting time for D and D in general. I do understand though, this article and the problem they see with just a, a full digital piece, uh, you kind of expressed on it already in that tech doesn't always go the way it needs to go. Uh, it also takes out what d has built over the last 50 years, and that being um, the theater of mind, right? And the sitting back at the table, making your own rules, uh, enjoying that as a group with pen and paper or pencil paper and minis and all of that. And they're just kind of, in a, in a sense, right, tossing it away for this digital component to look more like a video game instead of what it was originally meant to be and the last thing in here is the lazy dm aspect right like this is helping the lazy dm i would say it doesn't because as a lazy dm it is easier for me to sit back in a notebook and write out my thoughts than it is to sit in front of a computer and have to program all this yeah or not
1: program it even drag and drop like i i've used like a digital like dungeon builder program before uh-huh. that was pretty nifty if quite some time ago i bet it's awesome now but it's like it's it's tedious like yep. it adds a level of extra stuff that you have to do because that part is going to take way longer than just like drawing it out on grid paper and you still have to do all the rest of the stuff yep. uh there are some things that i think are pretty cool about this though so um I didn't talk about it too much earlier but I did watch Gamescom. There was a game there that looks really cool called Moonbreaker and it is by Unknown Worlds which is the studio that did Subnautica and it is a tabletop like versus arena game or something like that. I don't know. It it looks crazy but it's like a tabletop game with like figures, but all of those figures that are miniatures, they have like a full super deep painting program, like aspect to it, where you can go in and customize all those miniatures. So it's like, I could see a future where like this D D one portal has like a whole subsection of people that are, using it for just supplementary for their regular D&D campaign stuff just maybe as like a cool way to make being in town like what if what if you just used that D&D mini aspect of it as just for going to town so they can see the town, they can see like the shopkeepers there. And it's almost just like a little mini game And it. Maybe that's what you use to keep track of all the gold and the weight, and the inventory, like that would be like a cool supplemental thing. And then over here is another set of people in a discord that like their main thing is they really wanted to paint miniatures, but miniatures are expensive. They don't have a hobby shop in their town. But they love to, you know, go on and they play some D&D on there. But like whenever their DM, you know, is like, hey, I need a new set of monsters. He tells somebody on there like, hey, I I want some goblins, but I want them to look this way and that way. And now you've got a whole subset of people painting digital minis like that would be a really cool aspect. And it would help to. Get away from the potential like super monetized future this could have where it's like, oh, how much would you like to pay for digital miniatures? Because you could
0: pay as much as you like. Well, and miniatures in general, like you said, are expensive. I mean, there's new minis coming out like that are 80, 100 bucks for like one big miniature. It's insane how much they're costing. But yeah, I mean, if you want it to look
1: absolutely gorgeous and get it painted expensive
0: yeah or to do it yourself
1: is time expensive
0: versus programming that would allow you to do it quickly i like that aspect of it i think that's pretty cool um hell even if there was a way to just like have people design these things and then have the code ready so you could 3d print it would even be cooler you know, notice well and it would be cool to have
1: it portable like something like that that you could do like the kids using an ipad in the video or whatever like to be able to just like paint on the go like that would mm-hmm. be cool. I would love yeah. to be able to paint minis in downtime like on a commute, but that's absolutely not something you can do in real life.
0: Yeah. Totally agree. All right. Well, um dude, I love talking D&D. <laughs> it's been a while since we did that, but uh we'll probably have more to talk about D&D here in the next uh, few months as we start strict saving up. Um Indeed. the next piece that we have here is Tenshu 2: Birth of Stealth Assassins. And uh, this was developed by Acquire, published by Activision. So it was developed by Acquire for Japan and then published by Activision uh, elsewhere. Uh, it was directed by Takuma Endo, and it was released in August of 2000, although I want to say it was 1999, so maybe that's wrong. Um, game is a stealth game. Oh, with 2000. Okay. It's a stealth game with lots of killing, and the reception is kind of mixed, but I did see a lot of 9 out of 10, and then there were some 6 out of 10s. So uh, this game in particular has not aged well at all. No. Uh, yeah, it, it is not <laughs> aged well in the slightest. It is in massive need of a remake or a remaster. Uh, and that is not something I always advocate for. I am 100% advocating for it here. The and cons- I've heard people speculate
1: about that, too. Like, I can't remember... What the game was, but there was some game some years ago and everybody was like, Oh, it's gonna be Tenshu 2, and then it was something else.
0: It was Sekido. Oh, was it Sekido? Yeah, people thought it was gonna be uh <clears throat> Tenshu, but it was Sekido. So Tenshu 2, diving into what I experienced. I needed a tutorial for the tutorial. <laughs> That's yeah,
1: sad. I, we both consulted Game Facts. I'm sure I consulted this, and YouTube. It didn't help
0: me. Oh, you went to YouTube. I went to YouTube and watched somebody do a walkthrough of the opening tutorial. Because I was like, I went through the first part and I completed it, no problem. I was like, well, no problem. I, I I say no problem, but the controls are just flipping terrible. So, so at what point did you complete it? Because I wasn't sure that I was done with it. So yeah, exactly. Me too. Like I got up to the top after using my, uh, my grappling hook.
1: Yeah. And you got to the top of the box and then there's like, it was like a ninja doesn't waste any movement. Yeah. And I was like, okay, where do I go? So I like did like a single long jump to the next box.
0: Yeah. Mine was like a ninja must be stealthy. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, okay, maybe I gotta be stealthy and nothing happened. I'm like, what the hell? Apparently, you go to the lake where you learn how to do water stuff, and after you finish oh. learning your water stuff, then you make your way up to a bridge. You cross the bridge and go in for weapons training. Then you go. Okay, into, yeah, I did that. So you do the weapons training. When you're done with that, you have to make your way to understand how to use shurikens, and I did that. And then when you're done with that, you go into the little house near where the shurikens are, and you talk to your master who throws you down a trap door into a tunnel where you are to go through that and try and get out of the tunnel. So you have, you're basically putting everything to use with enemies. Uh, once that component's done, you end up in your first missions. And the first mission is to defeat a bunch of bandits that are in a city and you're supposed to kill their boss. So, okay. Time wise, I was, run it very slim because it took forever to get through that damn tutorial. And the Mm. controls are just difficult. I mean, it's it has not aged well. And so my my whole piece of this is. I felt the game was good from a story perspective. I felt that the concept is still great. The stealth kills that I was able to land were phenomenal. But the controls are very lackluster you you kind of have this dependency to hold down r1 and move around with like x and circle for the most part and jump around because it's so clunky whenever you're in a fight trying to attack an enemy and even Mm -hmm. for them they're clunky as well uh in their attacks so it's it's kind of difficult in that respect um, the camera angles are not the best. Like, so if I was on a, like the edge of a wall and I wanted to peer to the other side, I had to be just perfect lining up. Otherwise, I wouldn't see the person on the other side. Oftentimes, yeah. it was easier for me to just kind of stand still off the wall and pan the camera around slowly so I could see what was going on and then make my move versus being against the wall. And that that was, you know, my overall impression. I played um, so... The game itself, um, so I don't get butchered here, I'm just going to quickly look up the two characters. Um, but you play as, uh, you have the option of playing as Rikumaru or Ayami. And those are your two uh, ninjas essentially. Uh, the concept of birth as stealth assassins makes complete sense here because you're kind of in this like training mode, I guess, and kind of it's on the early days of their lives as ninjas. Um, versus later releases, of course, you're already in that. My experience with this uh, prior to playing this sequel is I played demos for Tenshu when I was a kid, Tenshu 2, and Wrath of Heaven. I think it's Wrath of Heaven. I don't think it's Wrath of (laughs) Heaven. I always mess that one up. Uh, (laughs) Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah, I think it's Wrath of Heaven. So um, that was my experience years ago, and I honestly enjoyed it back then. I mean, it's a extremely bloody game. There's tons of killing that's involved in it. Lots of blood spurting everywhere in this title. And it really kind of tests your stealth or ability to just avoid enemies in general. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think for me, uh, I'm a little mixed as well on this one.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. So I had some emulation issues with my cracked PS classic. I also I missed a pickup earlier and I got one for you, too, John. I got these OTG cables, I guess they're called. Mm -hmm. So it's like a male to female um, micro USB, but it also has another little dongle coming off for a female USB a port so you can plug the like cracked um usb plug into the back of the playstation instead of running it through the player two controller oh okay but i think you need to do extra stuff because it didn't work at first so then i (laughs) so when i got into the forest to go fight those dudes it started chugging so gotcha yeah And I just kind of ran around, like after being on the boxes, I went over and I kind of looked it up for a little bit. And I listened to the cicadas for a while. And I was like very zen. And then I ran over to the uh, shuriken spot. And I did the shuriken things. And I think I missed all three. So I like wasn't sure if I did it right. So I went back over because it like had the tutorial like icon again. I was like, okay. And I made sure to hit the target's like exactly that time because that time they like stopped and bounced off like I was expecting them to stick in the target you don't even have to hit
0: the targets apparently okay so
1: I apparently it just lets you do that tutorial over and over again if you want
0: it lets you do all of them over and over again because I did the first tutorial of stealth and jumping and going along walls twice oh because I wasn't sure if it like would move me forward
1: You know, I think that this would have been a sick game back in the day, but the age of it just makes it not worth revisiting it, unfortunately.
0: That's kind of where I was, too. I mean, I would probably still play it just to play it. But yeah, I'm right. Let's break it down, John. All right. Complete in box 2628 that peaked in December of last year at 3749 trending down. A loose copy right now is around 1410 that peaked at 2325 in February of this year. That's trending up right now. But I would imagine that trending up because it's, you know, off its peak of like nine dollars more. Um, it's not digital uh, or I don't know if it might be digital. You just don't have a marked here. Um, so obviously not on PC unless you crack. Yeah, it. I couldn't find it. Yeah. Um, you know. Honestly, I think it's inflated and I hate to say that because it is a quality game. When you look at it in the aspect of, you know, early 2000s, it's a phenomenal game back then, but it's just not, it doesn't hold up nowadays. And there are plenty of games out there that are at this price point and on older consoles that frankly just control better, are a lot smoother, have better animation and or worthwhile to jump back in at this price point. This is not one of them. I'm going to take a different approach. I'm going to say that
1: it's inflated right now, but it's going to get worse. I see that this game was at 37 at one point. And while I think that was probably an outlier, I can definitely see this game going up as we go into the future, you know, there's always going to be less copies than there are going to be more copies. Uh, You know, this game has like a pretty decent review. It is of a certain age and I don't expect future generations to look kindly back upon Tenchu 2. So, you know, who knows this one could go up eventually. So maybe if it's a game you don't have, you better buy now while you can get it as cheap as you can.
0: That's a good point. Um, always good to look into that. If you're especially a collector of 10 shoe type games, uh, it is a decent price right now. If that's what you you're going to get into.
1: That's another thing. If you're a stealth gamer, like you love stealth games, then maybe this is worth it. I'm not a big stealth game person. You know, if finicky controls don't bother you, maybe this is a really good game. So like, don't let it not be worth it to you just because it's not worth it to us.
0: Very good point. Well, well we kind of make John. <laughs> well, um I think that's a wrap on Tenchu. Uh, there is Tenchu Z on the Xbox 360, so maybe I'll give that a shot at some point. I did buy that not too long ago. Uh next week we don't know what game we're playing because when this episode releases it will be the 29th. And if we're to record another episode, it might be on Saturday, but there might be a sequel with my spawn coming. Oh no. During that period of time. So to, you know, what would be a, the greatest way to cap off sequel month, a baby being born on the 31st. That'd be a, a sequel great, to John sequel to me. Oh my so, God. We'll, we'll see if that happens. Um, but as of right now, uh, we'll look to record on the third potentially. And then after that, we've got a lot of great content that Ryan and I have been recording, uh, for some time, some, uh, Triple Threat Showdowns, a uh, great episode 200 that uh, we're excited to release with uh, Game Grinder and Corpse Sled Gaming. So I think there's a lot of good content coming down the pipe, even though I'm not going to technically be recording live mm-hmm. with you. And then we'll be picking it up for sure, you and I, a little later. But that's not to say that you're not going to have live recordings. I know you're coordinating with a number of podcasts right now uh, to do some guest appearances.
1: Yeah, we will definitely keep
0: you all well entertained during John's absence. It's going to be fun. All right. Well, this has been episode 198 of the Game Flares podcast. My name is John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.